Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, inspired by something we discussed last week, I did something I've managed to avoid for 26 years. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. A new superhero hits theaters this weekend. We'll take a look at Blue Beetle. And Gal Gadot has a new spy action movie on Netflix. I watched Heart of Stone. Plus... Speaking of superheroes, I revisited a good one and visited a not-so-good one. But we begin with a show that needs to be a galactic success. We're talking about the new Star Wars show that debuts on Wednesday, August 23rd, Ahsoka. Everyone in the Order knew Anakin Skywalker. Few would live to see what he became. Before the end of the Clone Wars, I walked away from him and the Jedi. In this war, you will face more than just droids. As your master, it's my responsibility to prepare you. I won't always be there to look out for you. I could use the help. Once a rebel, always a rebel. Don't be afraid. And trust your instincts. I know you can do this, Ahsoka. Ahsoka Tano is the character's name, played in the live action by Rosario Dawson. And this is sort of a continuation of a couple of cartoons. They had their Star Wars The Clone Wars series, which had like 130 episodes. And then they had Star Wars Rebels. And one of the primary characters in both series was Ahsoka Tano, who was a Jedi apprentice to Anakin Skywalker, and then she eventually leaves and goes her own way, and of course Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader, yada yada, you know, all that sort of basic stuff. But Ahsoka is interesting because she's one of the biggest and one of the best characters in Star Wars, but a lot of people have maybe never even seen or heard of her. For example, Bronn. Yep. Was your first exposure to her in season two of The Mandalorian? Um, I think so. This is not the same character that's in Attack of the Clones and the big, uh, you know, when they all have the big giant battle in the pit down there. There's a there's a Jedi with the things growing out of her head, like, yeah. but that's a different character. Different character, but the same species or alien or whatever they are. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering about that, so that's <laughs> fine. So yeah, no. Then you're right. Then the first time I saw her was when she showed up, and uh, it was it was Mandalorian or Boba yeah. Fett story or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, it was a Mandalorian. Man, Mandal- yeah. Oh yeah, that's it. But I mean, Rosario Dawson is that she is one of like top five all-time solid actors. Like if you need somebody for something, call Rosario Dawson kind of thing because she shows up all the time everywhere and she's always just hits the nail on the head. So I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, and she really has a lot of respect and reverence for this character. And I will say this, uh, there's a great featurette on YouTube. Uh, It's called A New Star Wars Legacy. It's about seven and a half minutes and you hear from Rosario Dawson and you hear from Dave Filoni, who is the showrunner, and you hear from Kathleen Kennedy, who's the big bad boss of Lucasfilm. (laughs) And she says you don't need to know the entire backstory here. You can just jump in. And I think they did a pretty good job even with The Mandalorian because when they introduced Ahsoka, I knew of her, but I hadn't seen her yet. I hadn't watched those cartoons. And I forgot. I don't know if you remember back in the mid to late 90s, they released an animated movie, The Clone Wars. 
a one-off movie that was essentially the beginning of the series. Okay, that the television series. I don't remember launched. that. Yeah, because it was it was okay uh, as a standalone event. I remember being disappointed, but it was always meant to launch this series, and I for- had forgotten that that's where we first meet. Ahsoka Tano, when she's just uh, an impe- she's just this uh, impetuous young teenager who's got a big mouth and, and likes to call Anakin Skywalker Sky Guy. So yeah, this uh, this series I think has potential to it has the potential to be excellent, especially because they're bringing in the characters from the Star Wars Rebels show, which was. Way better than I thought it would be. So uh, hopefully they they manage to tell this story in a way where you don't have to watch 175 cartoon episodes <laughs> to, well, to I understand. Will, I will literally be the judge of that because I haven't watched the cartoon episode. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see how we both come at this from because you've seen all that stuff, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really I'm really looking forward to this. And you're right, Ros- Rosario Dawson is so good. No matter what she's in, she takes she pays it the respect it deserves her physicality is amazing she looks great in the costume and the makeup she looks great with the lightsabers and there are some mysterious dark force users in this and of course the the big bad guy is general thrawn whom you may have never heard of once again so this is going to be introducing a lot of star wars fans to new stuff and a lot of star wars fans are i'm sure excited to see this stuff because they are familiar with it but disney definitely needs this to hit because especially after Secret Invasion, they just keep having sort of flop series after yeah. flop series. So hopefully I Ahsoka's mean, good. The two things I've been watching on Disney lately aren't Disney things. They're Hulu things in the States that just end up on Disney Plus in Canada because we don't have Hulu. And that's the uh, only Murders in the Building and the new Justified reboot. Oh, no, oh, that's yeah. not even on Disney Plus. The old Justifieds are on Disney Plus. The new shows are actually just on FX, the TV station. Oh, okay. That's right. But it will probably end up on Disney Plus in a couple of months. All right. So Ahsoka launches on Wednesday with two episodes, and it's an eight-episode uh, eight season in total. So hopefully it gets off to a good start and doesn't slow down. In the meantime, switching from Disney Plus to Netflix, what you got? Yeah, I watched what Netflix claims was its number one movie this week, Gal Gadot, starring in Heart of Stone. You know what you signed up for? No friends. No relationships. What we do is too important. When governments fail, the only thing left is the charter. The most highly trained agents. It's a bigger operation. No political leanings. What's with all the speculation? No national allegiances. Time to make a statement. Working together to keep peace in a turbulent world. Time to free my mind of limitation. How many in the welcome party? Six of them. Hardly seems fair. developing a sense of humor. Heart of Stone is a spy action movie, kind of like a James Bond or Mission Impossible ripoff, and it's not nearly as good as those, but it does have a couple of things going for it. Wonder Woman plays Rachel Stone, a meek MI6 tech lady. She goes on covert ops with the team, but she's supposed to stay in the van and do the computer stuff while the real agents get their hands dirty. But of course, that's just her cover. She's actually a super spy working for a group called The Charter. Even MI6 doesn't know about them and the charter agents are way better than the CIA 
agents and the MI6 agents, like the 007s and the Impossible Mission Force from those other movies. The movie also stars Jamie Dornan as an MI6 agent. He's the only other name I recognized in the cast, although I presume some of these actors have been in bigger things that I'm just not familiar with. I like Dornan a lot. I think he's very good in the movie Belfast. I liked him a lot in the movie Wild Mountain Time, although... I don't think anybody else liked that movie besides me. But here he feels kind of miscast, especially in the second half of Heart of Stone. But I think the writing for the actors also is not is not great, so I tend to put more of the blame on the screenwriter than on Jamie Dornan. The movie's also ludicrous, which is part and parcel for movies like this. But when ludicrous things happen in a Mission Impossible movie... For instance, you have, you know, one of the greatest movie stars of all time to make things better. And uh, Wonder Woman just isn't as charismatic as Tom Cruise, even though she is pretty charismatic. So instead of being able to kind of gloss over some of the silly plot stuff with Cruise or Haley Atwell smiling at each other while handcuffed, you kind of get Gal Gadot surrounded by strangers struggling to make the poorly written dialogue sound normal. It just comes off as very first drafty, I thought. Um, again, she's in this group called The Charter, this mysterious group of super spies, and at the heart of that that organization is something called, literally, The Heart. It's an AI program that takes all the fun out of everything. It calculates the odds of absolutely everything in real time, all the time. Like if she's in a house with four bad guys, it tells her how to walk around the house to kill all the bad guys the easiest way and how to get out of there, that sort of thing. And that heart is run by a, game, a guy named Jack. Everyone has a deck of cards code name, so he's Jack, uh, Rachel Stone's name is the nine of hearts i believe it's very silly like that anyways jack works his supercomputer relays the information to rachel stone he doesn't have a computer monitor it's also advanced that it just shows up in the air around him kind of like tom cruise's computer in minority report but on a grander scale it's convenient when it needs to be and it isn't when it isn't just like in any other movie where they can either spend 20 minutes trying to defuse a bomb or just have a guy pound a keyboard for three seconds and say done so obviously with such a powerful tool the bad guy hacker lady that Rachel Stone is chasing, wants to get her hands on it. There are a bunch of twists along the way, including a huge one about halfway through the movie that I was quite impressed by, actually. I did not see that coming at all. And the movie looks better than you would think for a Netflix movie. I've definitely seen much worse-looking action movies on Netflix, movies like Red Notice or The Gray Man. Don't get me wrong, this isn't spectacular, but they either actually went to some locations to do some location work and get some nice shots, or they're just getting better at faking at faking it because it looked pretty good. And it bounces around the globe like a good spy movie should. We get some desert, we get some snowy mountains, we get some European cities, lots of good stuff. The the beginning is in the mountains. There's a ski resort type place that I thought very much looked like the setting of the James Bond movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Perhaps it was an homage. Perhaps it was just coincidence. I mean, there are 25 James Bond movies, and with that number, other movies are bound to have similar looking locations. The point is, it looks better than what we give a lot of Netflix movies credit for. So that's a, a feather in the cap of the heart of stone people. Unfortunately, though, the blandness that coats most Netflix movies is there as well. Uh, they just I just couldn't seem to care what happened to anyone because you just don't care about the characters. And, and they tried. You can kind of smell the desperation in some of the early scenes of the team trying to act like people were supposed to like. They're joking, they're dancing, and generally trying to endear themselves to the audience, but it falls flat. It's funny because I think we take stuff like that for granted in good movies, even in not great movies like the Fast and the Furious movies. They're, they're a fun hang because they do a good job of making us believe that these characters are more or less real people who are really friends 
friends or family. And the Heart of Stone just struggled mightily on that front. It really sort of feels like a movie that was written by AI. Someone showed a computer the, the Bond and Mission Impossible movies and a picture of Wonder Woman and said, make one out of that. Um, all that said, though, there was enough action along the way to kind of keep me interested. And again, a couple of proper twists that really kept things interesting. So kind of worth the two hours, but not a great movie. Two and a half couch cushions out of five for Heart of Stone on Netflix. And up next, we're going to tell you about the three new offerings in theaters this week. And we still got to go through a couple of the other movies that we have revisited over the past week, including one that I have tried to avoid since it came out 26 years ago. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's bred a couple of new movies in theaters this weekend. There's a new DC superhero movie out there. It's one that most people probably will not be familiar with. It's Blue Beetle. I feel like I failed you guys. It's supposed to know how it's supposed to happen. You're high man. You always land on your feet. Oh, I'm in so much trouble. The universe has sent you a gift. You have to figure out what you're going to do with it. Why'd you do that? I have no idea. Target the family. Come to Papa. Mama. No way. See, way. The premise of Blue Beetle, according to Wikipedia, is after Jamie Reyes graduates from college and returns to his hometown in Palmera City, he's chosen to become a symbiotic host to the Scarab, an ancient alien biotechnological relic that grants him a powerful exoskeleton armor, turning him into the superhero Blue Beetle. So, sounds pretty standard as far as origin stories go. It stars Zolo Merduena, whom I've never seen before, but he plays Miguel Diaz in Cobra Kai, so you probably know him a little bit there, Brett. Yeah, he's a terrific young actor. Right. Good. He looks good, and he's getting good reviews for his performance. Susan Sarandon also in the movie. I think she might be the big bad of this one. And George Lopez also in it as the Blue Beetle's uncle. He's always fun to see. I like George Lopez quite a bit. It'll be interesting to see how it does at the box office. It's getting decent reviews at 82% on Rotten Tomatoes as of Thursday. But The Flash had pretty decent reviews as well and was already a known commodity and tanked hard at the box office. On the other hand, maybe the fact that this is unknown will play in its favor. A lot of superhero movies were unknown IP beforehand and became huge hits. But then, of course, there's a superhero fatigue factor that's there. Frankly, you know, there are also a lot of good movies playing in theaters right now. I think a lot of people still trying to get to Barbie or Oppenheimer and maybe even Mission Impossible. If anything, I think Blue Beetle you know, might benefit from people being shut out of Barbie or something like that. Who knows? We'll find out how it does at the box office by the end of the weekend. But if you're up for it, Blue Beetles is in theaters now. So the future didn't turn out the way you want God, that was my life. But don't worry. Bro, you always land on your feet. That's what is this thing? Oh, I forgot how bad it looks. Oh, I've seen worse. It's a world destroying weapon. It's chosen you. But it belongs to me. That's all you got? Mission to engage. Yours! I got this! Oh, yeah! PG-13, only in theaters August 18th. I will say this, in spite of the superhero fatigue that even I feel... This movie, when I was a kid, it looks like exactly the kind of movie that I would love. And I think it's great that they're making a superhero movie that's clearly aimed at a younger audience. Like, not every superhero or science fiction thing has to be aimed at a 35 to 45-year-old dude. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, this is more of a family kind of a thing, so maybe they'll get some more families into theaters like that. And I know the Latino community as well, particularly in the United States, is really excited about it. And uh, just on the subject of, of, I would love this if I was a kid, one of my buddies says his kid can't wait 
to see this movie. So they're not. I think they were predicting like 30 million for the opening weekend, which isn't a failure. I don't think anybody's expecting anything from this movie. So uh, could looks like it might be a good start, though. I think this is the first movie in the DCU, as opposed to the DCEU. Oh, oh yeah. my God! Yeah, that's. <laughs> I don't have to keep that all straight, do I? I don't know. <laughs> it's the one leading off uh, James Gunn's yeah. DCU. I'll just quickly tell you this. There are two other movies out this weekend. One of them is called Strays. It uh, primarily stars Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx as the voices of dogs. It's about talking dogs. It looks like a stoner comedy, getting okay reviews at 59%. And then there's a movie called Back on the Strip, which features a largely uh, black cast, a really all-star cast. We've got Wesley Snipes, uh, Tiffany Haddish, Kevin Hart, just to name a couple of people in this cast. And it looks fun, but I can't really play any audio from it because... Uh well, it was, Rated it was part, R? Yeah, hard R. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like fun, but hard R. So those are the three movies out this week. And up next, I'm going to tell you about a movie that I have managed to avoid for two and a half decades. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Last week, I espoused the virtues of a movie that I feel is one of the best Action movies of all time. One of my favorite movies of all time. Came out in 1994. Speed, starring Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. Well, this past week, in the last couple of days, I finally thought, I'm going to watch a movie that I have managed to avoid since it came out in 1997. Speed 2, Cruise Control. Since we last saw Annie... Some things have changed. This almost seems too perfect, doesn't it? Some things... Want me to step on your feet? Haven't. Where I am never leaving the house again. Now, they can't change course. Seems odd. Yes, it is odd. They're abandoning ship in the middle of the night. They can't stop. Melly PD. You what? Somebody find the captain! And they can't... The captain is dead. ...get off. Who is running the ship? Oh, yeah. I am. So when they announced Speed 2, I was so excited that they were going to make another one. And then the reviews started coming in, and they were almost universally bad. It's at 4% on Rotten Tomatoes. And you know who liked it? Two guys liked it, and their names happened to be Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. Yeah? So everybody took a big giant dump all over this movie, and the poster said... Or not the poster, but probably the VHS box. Two thumbs up, big on front, from Siskel and Ebert. And that's, you know, more than enough for most people trying to pick something out of Blockbuster. So it is weird. It's the one movie that everybody hated, but it got to put, like, the most prestigious critics' approval on the front of their box because the two guys that mattered most liked it for some reason. It was, it's so weird. Oh, that's fantastic. And actually, that sort of ties in with this TV spot that clearly had to do some cherry-picking for the so-called critical praise. So who's ready to partay on the big boat besides me? The critics are on board for Speed 2. You better hang on. Sandra Bullock sparkles in the role that made her a star. <laughs> Jason Patrick is the action hero of the summer. Get me closer! And Joel Siegel says it's hold your breath action. A great summer film. Speed 2 Cruise Control. Oops. See what you made me do. Rated PG-13. Rush hour hits the water tomorrow. They mentioned Joel Siegel's name in there. He was another highfalutin critic. Yeah, but he, he, they 
you know, picked the four words that were kind that he said in there and then probably left out the 846 words where he just trashed everything else about it. <laughs> they do that. So, speed two. The first one was about, well, actually, you know what? This uh, kind of sums it up and ties the two together. This summer, he's taking us right into an oil tanker. Man! If you didn't catch the bus. Oh, oh, let's bust the transmission like a car because I, I, I've done that. You won't want to miss. Andy! The boat. You won't want to miss the boat. I like the title, cruise control, and is on a cruise ship. That's that's clever to me. Yeah, and and I like that they went from the so the first one was there's a bomb on a bus. Keanu Reeves plays Officer Jack has to get on the bus. Sandra Bullock ends up having to drive it. The bus has to stay above fifty miles per hour or it's going to blow. And in this one, they they move from land to the sea. And the idea, I think it's a novel premise. You've got Willem Dafoe as the bad guy, which is always great because yep. he looks so Evil. maniacal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. He, he clearly has a lot of fun. He did not phone in this role. And he essentially hijacks the ship, this uh, large ferry cruise, as, uh, by taking over the computer systems and locks everyone out and, re- and sets the course and makes it so they can't change course, makes it so they can't stop the ship, etc. And Jason Patrick is the new cop in this one because they couldn't get Keanu Reeves back, so they brought in Jason Patrick to play a new officer, Officer Alex, also the love interest of Sandra Bullock. So, look, I didn't hate this movie. I was anticipating that I would despise it. I didn't hate it. I thought Sandra Bullock remained great in the role of Annie. I thought Jason Patrick was terrific. I wouldn't don't know that I would go so far as to call him the the action hero of the summer for 1997. <laughs> but uh, oh, no kidding, that's a face-off Con Air summer, I think, too. Yeah, was, yeah, it's not Jason Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly Nicolas Cage. Uh, Willem Dafoe, like I mentioned, he was great. And uh, the guy who plays uh, Boba Fett slash Jango Fett is in it. His name escapes me off the top of my head. Uh, I'm just sort of looking at my notes here. I wrote down in the dark, Jango Fett, as I was watching this movie last night. But I will say this. uh, First of all, it's a really ambitious production. There's a lot of effort that went into making this movie and making it look real and having this ship crash into things. Like We're not talking about a bus. We're talking about crashing a ship into potentially another bigger ship or into an island or whatever. So like it's it took a lot to do this. And part of the problem, though, is some of the things that they do are just so stupid. Like, I got to tell you this. It's spoiler alert. Have you seen this movie, by the way? I have not, but go ahead. Spoil away. I don't care. Okay. So there's this scene where this ship is approaching this harbor in front of St. Martin, the Caribbean. So there are all kinds of little ships, little boats in the, the harbor. People water skiing, hanging out in their kayaks or whatever, just chilling, having a good time. And, um, the, the cruise ship in this movie, it's not like, it's not one of the the gigantic like twenty deck ships. Like it's not like a huge carnival cruise, but it's right. still a very big boat. Right, you can see it coming for miles, <laughs> and yet somehow no one in this harbor 
<laughs> figured out that this ship is not slowing down and it's coming it's bearing like one guy snuck it, up on him it was it, right on top of him they didn't notice it until it was right there like how the stupidity <laughs> on display was just staggering and I think that's one of the things that holds this movie down and there the dialogue is is indeed weak like what made the first movie so great is we managed to care about these characters and they were so committed to the premise. And in this one, I think it was just maybe a little too big, a little too ambitious, a little too ridiculous it's that you just didn't don't buy into it. Whereas the first one, yeah, the first one was silly and, and dumb, but it was fun. You bought into it. This one, just too big, too silly. So I don't even know what to give this uh, because I still haven't fully digested and like, and I even wrote down here like thirty four minutes in, not much had happened yet, so it took a while to really get moving. A movie, a movie called Speed, had better start with speed and keep <laughs> rolling as fast as possible. So I don't know, maybe two couch cushions out of five for Speed Two Cruise Control. If you really want to watch it, it's on a couple of things. I, I watched it on Disney Plus. It looks like it's on Crave as well. So in the meantime, I also rewatched. A movie that I just wanted to quickly touch on here. Guardians. Everything you love shall be destroyed. Screw you, you stretch-faced, robocop-looking... Purple-nurple piece of... You don't know. You think? Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Ready PG-13. Tickets on sale now. I love that line where the you RoboCop-looking, stretch-faced, purple nerve, because um, the high evolutionary looks like kind of RoboCop-ish in that sense. And I just recently watched uh, Netflix. They've got their series, The Movies That Made Us, and they did one on RoboCop. Uh, so I watched that just days ago. But yeah, I didn't even realize that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was on Disney+. Plus. It landed on August 2nd. So I thought, I'm going to rewatch this because I quite enjoyed it in the theater. And I just wanted to point out that I actually enjoyed it even more at home. I thought this was a movie that might not quite have the rewatchability, especially given how dark it is at times. Like, this is a really sad movie at times. But no, I enjoyed it. It made me tear up, I think, three times. Uh, it's just when they do hit the emotional stuff, they really hit it. Tells this amazing story about how Rocket raccoon came to be and just the teamwork on display uh the 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 hallway action scene was it's two minutes of non-stop insanity uh and just the celebrating this trilogy of films i i would say the guardians of the galaxy you referenced unknown ip earlier yep. jeff uh the guardians of the galaxy have got to be the unlikeliest success story of the marvel cinematic universe absolutely i guess it helps at the beginning because you go in with no expectations because you just don't know what to expect because you're not familiar with the source material so yeah they and then also of course marvel doesn't treat it so preciously they just let uh, james gunn do what he wanted and it seems to be the way to go if you just let the directors actually do what they want instead of having to stick to whatever formula you got tense it can often work out much better if you got a talented director yeah unless uh, unless you give them too much like taika waititi they sort of give him carte blanche with uh, thor, thor. Love and thunder and 
that didn't quite work out so well. The Ragnarok one did though. Yeah, that was a great movie. Yeah. I think they I think they kind of had him reined in just enough on that one. But James Gunn indeed, they let him do his thing because this was not really tied to the larger story. This was about wrapping up the Guardians of the Galaxy as we know them and uh, I think it's just incredible. It's an incredible story of an incredible team of friendship, of family. The first post-credit scene is the sort of a perfect homage to all things Guardians while inviting new stories. And uh, yeah, I just, I never thought that the story, uh, when I first saw the poster for the Guardians of the Galaxy, I looked at it and thought, okay, so there's a, there's a tree and there's a, a raccoon with a machine gun. Like, who yeah. are, it's just like Thor said in Avengers Infinity War. Who the hell are you guys? And a third tier guy from Parks and Rec is the main character in this superhero movie. What is going on? Yeah, but it worked out great. And Guardians 3 was, just, like I said, I think even better than the first time when I saw it in theaters. So that's available now on Disney+. And then I'll just quickly tell you that I, I, one that you might want to stay away from is this. Powers that can only be described as superhuman. But there's a cost. Now, I face a choice to hunt and consume blood or die. Morbius. Morbin time. It's Morbin time. I actually wasn't sure if that was a real thing, if there was a meme or if it was a, a line from the film. Yes, same, except I thought for sure that it was a line from the film and on the poster and stuff, and then I watched it around Christmas time, I think, yeah. and at the end, I was like, they didn't even say the line, and then I looked it up, I was like, oh, it was it was just a meme, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it Jared? I always get the last name. Leto. Leto. Jared Leto. I think okay. that's what I've been calling him anyways. Jared Leto plays Michael Morbius, who is a brilliant scientist, but he has, uh, you know, he's dying. He has this blood disease that he and and a friend of his have the same or similar uh, sickness, and he's trying to find a cure. He finds one, but it turns him into a vampire, and he has, he has some pretty cool powers. I will say some of the visuals on display here were pretty nifty. I just, uh, I think Jared Leto is at his best when he gets to be a little unhinged, and whenever we see him unhinged, He's behind the makeup yeah, of yeah. more or the visual effects of Morbius. So I don't know. This wasn't this movie got trashed by critics. It's again, I don't hate it. I just I, I can't recommend it. Like there's got to be something better for you to watch. I watched it eight months ago and I can't remember one single thing from that movie. I think I was bored by it. But, yeah. But I honestly don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So I'd probably give that two couch cushions out of five. And I see up next, Jeff. On the subject of stuff that he has rewatched, he is revisiting one of the all-time greatest shows, which also, actually, I would describe as an unlikely success. Mm -hmm. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We've been rewatching some of our old favorites and some uh, maybe not so favorites lately. I started watching a show this week called 30 Rock. Hi, uh, my name is Liz Lemon, and I received flowers from your shop tonight, and I can't tell who they're from. No, no, I did read the card, but it's not signed. No, I'm not with so many men that it's impossible for me to guess. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, we did a lot of rewatching when the pandemic first hit in the spring of 2020, and for me, my go-to was my favorite sitcoms because they cheered me up and kept me uh, kind of sane. I rewatched Cheers, Parks and Rec, Seinfeld, The Office, a few more. The ones I would call easy rewatches. I deliberately stayed away from something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I do love, but it's also exhausting to watch because each episode is basically 30 minutes of confrontation starring Larry David, and that's just hard to binge. It gets tiring a little pretty quickly. I also stayed away from 30 Rock because it's so fast. It's so densely populated with its jokes. It's also, you know, exhausting in that sense because you have to try to keep up with its relentless pace. But I started rewatching it again this past week. I wanted a sitcom to watch, something I know was good, something I hadn't seen a hundred times already. And as it turns out, it was more bingeable than I thought it might be. I probably could have handled it back in 2020. I will say, though, that I've been missing quite a few jokes as my mind drifts from time to time, and by the time it snaps back into the show, I've like, what's going on? But that's my problem, not 30 Rocks. And it's just so funny. Alec Baldwin is amazing in it. Uh, we knew it at the time, of course, but he's also a guy whose public persona outmatches most of his characters. Even, you know, that movie set shooting aside, he, of course, has got more mileage for his Donald Trump impression on Saturday Night Live than any other job he's done. But I would say 30 Rock is probably his best work for his whole career. And the comedic chemistry he has with everybody's pretty amazing, and especially with Tina Fey, who, of course, we heard in the clip there and is the beating heart of the show. Most people in general don't want to look dumb. Tina Fey just ran headfirst into that hurricane, and it paid off. She plays pulls off playing the fool, but also retaining her character's dignity, and you'd believe that she's an authority figure. She plays sort of the, the head writer and the showrunner of this uh, behind-the-scenes Saturday Night Live kind of a show that 30 Rock is. It's a tough, tight rope act to pull off, and she does it easily. Of course, it's helped by the fact that almost every other single character on the show is just a total maniac. Tracy Morgan, Jack McBrayer, Judah Freelander, Jane Krakowski, each one weirder than the last, so Tina Fey by default kind of looks like the normal one. It's a fun, clever show, all that good stuff, even though, you know, I'll miss a few scenes here and there. It goes down pretty smoothly. I tore through season one in about three days. I'm well into season two already, and these are 20-plus episode seasons, not, you know, eight episode seasons like we get for most shows now so if you're looking for a laugh it's time to revisit 30 rock you can find it on crave and i just wanted to mention talk about unlike, unlikely successes i remember when when 30 rock came out nbc actually had two shows coming out about Oof. a late night sitcom or a late night sketch yep. show and 30 rock the ads they made for it weren't great and they no. put all their promo into the Aaron Sorkin show, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. And that show, I've never seen a show start so good and end so badly in just one season as Studio 60. Yeah, it was terrible. And 30 Rock went on to win multiple awards. So, yeah, 30 Rock, it's a classic. And I should probably revisit that as well. Once again, that's on Crave. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.